0: Need to turn to, you just keep your finger in Genesis 5. Now, all down through history, excuse me, whether that be secular or religious history, there have been men and women who were towering figures in their generation. Think of Winston Churchill in Great Britain during the last war and how that his inspiring, rousing speeches and his courage and his leadership galvanized the nation against Nazi Germany. Of course, South Africans uh, has got their own iconic figure in Nelson Mandela and uh, the fight against apartheid. And just a few days ago, Margaret Thatcher, uh, who was three times... Prime Minister of Great Britain, and the first and only woman Prime Minister was buried. And regardless of what you may feel about her politics, and people seem to be polarised about that, but nonetheless, if the Queen comes to your funeral and hundreds of thousands of people are cheering your cortege, I would say that somewhere or other you've been a towering figure uh, politically in history. Of course today is the birthday of Queen Elizabeth II our queen she's 87 today and i was just reading uh, this week where it has been tabulated that she has performed some 30,300 uh, public and private duties uh, as queen and over a period of uh, of 61 years on the throne that comes to almost 500 public duties a year every year for all of those years. That is some feat alone, isn't it? She's a woman of great energy. And then, of course, uh, in, the, in the religious side of things, we can think of Martin Luther, uh, who's, uh, who actually changed the, the, the whole religious uh, direction of a whole continent. Uh, I mean, Martin Luther was one of those towering figures as far as religion is concerned in the continent of Europe. Uh, You go from that, of course, to the Whitfields and the Wesleys, Uh, probably if it wasn't for the great revival under the Wesleys, maybe Great Britain would have went the way of of France and had revolution, but instead we had revival, and so it was a wonderful time. You think of great preachers like C.H. Spurgeon, uh, probably has published more uh, books and sermons than any other preacher in in history, actually. Think of Billy Graham, who's what, about 94 today, and he's and now filming his last uh, public sermon uh, for America. And he's 94, and his great friend, George Beverly Shai, just died this past week at 104. Uh, these are men that had tremendous influence. Think of Amy Carmichael uh, from these shores, and Gladys Aylward, the great missionary to China, Amy Carmichael, of course, to India. And, and all of these in their own unique way uh, had tremendous influence uh, in their generation. The Bible also has standout figures like in the New Testament, you cannot get past Peter and Paul. <clears throat> Peter's the first half of the book of Acts, Paul's the second half, and of course all the letters. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and so forth. And then of course Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Uh, what a tremendous, wonderful woman uh, that she was. And of course then, uh, people like Abraham and Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah, Esther, Deborah, uh, Rachel, Sarah, just so many people who were uh, tremendous uh, men and women of God. And Enoch, that we're going to read about in a moment, was also uh, a man of his generation, and a man for his generation. Uh, And even though the Bible is quite brief uh, on what it records about this man, but yet it is a very telling record, and it tells us much about his life and about uh, how he lived for God. And so he is then a standout man in his generation. We, we need standout men and women in our generation, don't we? Uh, we need people who's going to make a difference uh, before they leave this scene of time that they have left their footprints behind when they leave. Now as well as Genesis 5 18 to 24 he's also mentioned Hebrews 11, five and six on the little uh, one chapter book of Jude, verses 14 and 15. So I want to read these few verses in Genesis first, and then I flick over and have a look at the other verses as well. So uh, Genesis chapter five, I' reading from verse 18. Jared lived 16two years and begot Enoch." And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, <coughs> excuse me, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Methuselah lived one hundred and eighty seven years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived hundred and eighty-two years, sorry, lived seven hundred and eighty-two years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred and sixty-nine years, and he died. And then over there in Hebrews uh, chapter eleven. The great roll call of faith. In verse 5 it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not because God had taken him. For before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek him, For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then, of course, in uh, the little short book of Jude, just before Revelation, in fact, if I am read just a few extra verses in this, <clears throat> verse 5 will begin. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around about them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily after the Aram of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoke against him. Against God, that is. And so there are uh, three portions of Scripture uh, that very obviously speaks about uh, this man, Enoch. Enoch. Now there are two distinct uh, genealogies uh, that come from Adam. Two lines. And uh, these two lines are found, and we just read one of them there, in Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 and 24. And Genesis chapter 4, verses 18 and 24. So that's easy to remember. And in Genesis 4, 18 to 24, uh, this is the line of the Canaanites. Uh, You remember Cain, he killed his brother Abel. So that's the line that came from Adam through Cain, the Cainites. And then we have just read here in Genesis 5, the line that came through Adam was the Sethites. Remember, Seth was born after Abel had died. And so these are the two genealogical lines that come uh, from Adam. And even though there are similar names on both sides, uh, there's an Enoch on both sides and there's a Lamech on both sides, but they are very, very different. And so in Genesis 5, this is not the Enoch, which is mentioned in Genesis 4, that we're going to be speaking about today, the one in Genesis 5. And uh, he is very, very special indeed. Now in the lineage of Adam on Cain's side, the seventh from Adam is a man called Lamech, and the lineage of Adam on Seth's side was this man called Enoch. And Lamech was a murderer, a man of violence. Of course, like Cain, he came from Cain's line. And he was a man who boasted about his violence and about his murder to his two wives. So he was a very unsavory, ungodly man. And yet on the other hand, we find in the line of Seth, the seventh from Adam, is this man Enoch. And Enoch was a godly man a very, very godly man, a man that was well-pleasing to God. And so he was a man of faith, whereas Lamech was a man of the flesh. And we see these two lines today, spiritually speaking, people of faith and people of the flesh, people who live for God and people who live for themselves and maybe even live for the devil. And so there is those two lines that are in the world today. Now, Enoch lived before the flood, and because he lived before the flood, the world was very different than what it is after the flood. Uh, it would be very different as far as the climate was concerned. It would be very different geographically, uh, because whenever the fountains of the deep broke up, and I haven't time to go into all of this because it's not the subject, but when that happened, it changed the geography of the world as we know it today from what it had been. So it was a very, very different world, different environment, different atmosphere, different climate, different geographically, uh, and all the rest of it. And maybe for those reasons uh, as well, uh, perhaps that's why men lived as long as they did live. You notice some of the ages we, we mentioned are tremendously. I mean, Adam lived 930 years. Seth lived 912 years, Lamech was 777 years, and Enoch's father Jared was 962 years, and his son Methuselah, who was the longest man that ever lived on the face of the earth, lived for 969 years. So Enoch's 365 years was quite short in comparison to those contemporaries around him, but nonetheless, in that short time, relatively speaking, Uh, He was a tremendous man of God, and uh, we want to speak about him today. Now, in Genesis 5, where we just read, uh, when Enoch was 65, something happened to him that would alter the whole course of his whole life. He had an encounter with Almighty God. Now, remember that he had no Bible at this time, there was no written record. Uh, but something happened to this man. At age 65, we don't know what he was like before that, but at age 65 he had a, an encounter with the living God. And his life from that moment changed uh, forever. And for the next 300 years he walked with God. So we know this was a radical revolutionary change that come into this man's life. When Christ comes into our life, there has to be a radical change. If there's no radical change, we've got to wonder, are we truly in Christ? Now that doesn't mean to say we're going on preachers and, and prophets like Enoch, but it does mean that there's a distinct difference from the man in Christ to the man who's not in Christ. I suppose that should be obvious, but there is. And so, it seems to center around the time when he had his son uh, Methuselah, when he was born. And perhaps it's something to do with Methuselah's name. The name of his son seems to have prophetic significance. So whether God has spoken to this man or whether he sensed in his spirit that something was going to happen, however that took place, certainly and most definitely, this change came about. Now, although the exact meaning of Methuselah, the name Methuselah, the exact meaning, we're not 100% sure, some say it means man of the javelin or man of the sending forth. uh, Meaning that judgment was going to come like a javelin and it was going to be sent forth speedily. But, More believe, a lot more believe that the name simply means when he goes, it will come. When he goes, it will come. The it, speaking of the judgment of God. Remember this is a perverse generation. We saw there in that little letter of Jude what conditions were like. This was an ungodly, perverse, crooked generation that this man lived in. And so perhaps God had spoken into his spirit. He sensed that judgment was going to come. Maybe he didn't know what the judgment would be, what form it would take place. Actually, the flood would come. And the very moment that Methuselah died, the flood came. Whether he knew that was going to happen or not, but he sensed something of the judgment of God was going to come upon the earth because he called his son and, and he named his son Methuselah, which gives that. Meaning that judgment was about to come, and it did come the moment he died. So when he went, it did come. The judgment of God came in the form of the flood. Now, notice that God, in his mercy and his long suffering with that generation, who were wicked and perverse, notice how long he waited. 969 years, almost a thousand years he waited for them to repent and to change and to turn. And all of this 300 years that we see that this man's walking with God, you can be sure he was prophesying and he was preaching to that generation. But nevertheless, they did not repent and they did not turn. So what happened? Well, we know what happened. The flood came. Over in 2 Peter, in chapter 3, just listen to this. Beloved, verse one, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water." But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the coming day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So that's briefly telling you that that old antediluvian world, eventually, it was destroyed by a flood, the judgment of God. And the next time this world will come under the great judgment of God, it will not be by a flood, it will be by fire. That means the. Atmosphere is stored up with fire, and we haven't an ended that scientifically before. I'm not going to do that this morning, but it's accurate and truthful. And so, we have here uh, this man, Noah. By the way, sorry, this man, Enoch. by the way, Noah was his great grandson, and uh, he obviously took after his, his great grandfather and became a preacher of righteousness in his corrupt and wicked generation. And so the first thing we want to mention this morning about Enoch was that he walked with God. Genesis 5, and 24, it tells us twice there that he walked with God. This was very, very important. Imagine out of all of that generation, out of all of the millions that lived in Enoch's day, there was one man out of all of that who walked with God. He marched to the sound of a different drumbeat. He swam upstream against all of the trends of his society. He walked with God. Before the fall, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. He had a wonderful relationship with God, tremendous companionship, great friendship. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, How can Two, what together except they be agreed? And there's something wonderful when you come into agreement with God. Now, for most of us, we lived most of our lives out of agreement with God. But we remember that hour and that day when we come into agreement with God. We believe God. We believe the Word of God. We believe the Son of God. And when that happened and we come into agreement with God, our lives were changed and changed forever. For 300 years, can you imagine this? For 300 years, this man had a daily walk with God. Most of us, we may manage a tenth of that or maybe an eighth of that, depending on our age. But 300 years, that's a long time, isn't it? Facing all kinds of temptation, temptation, And perhaps all kinds of persecution and being put down and being laughed at and being ridiculed. But for 300 years, every single day of his life, he held true to God and he lived for the Lord. And that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. He had this testimony, you see. And so he was upright. He was consistent. He was faithful. He was dedicated. He was disciplined. And he walked in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That says a lot for the character of this man. And do you know what? If he can do it, we can do it. If Noah can do it, we can do it. If Paul can do it, we can do it. If Elijah could do it, we could do it. Elijah was a man of like passion, such as we are. These were just ordinary human beings, the same as us. But somehow, by the grace of God and by the strength of God, they manage to walk upright in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Paul in Ephesians tells us how to walk this Christian life. In verse four, sorry, chapter four, verse one, he tells us to walk worthily. Walk worthily, remembering who we are walking with who we are living for. He says, walk worthily of the calling by which you've been called. In chapter four seventeen, he says, walk differently. Uh, not as the Gentiles walk, he says. Not as others. Our walk is different. We spoke last Sunday about the narrow way. Not the broad way. We're not on the broad way. We used to be. We're not. We're on the narrow way. And it's a straight way. It's a narrow gate that we go through, and few there be that find it, the Bible says. So we're to walk differently. It's okay to be different, isn't it? It's okay to be different. Lots of people today want to be different. You see groups of them, how they dress, to be different from those and their peers around them. Because they want to stand out. So why should we not stand out and be different as believers? In this world that we live in, in the workplace, among our neighbors, or wherever, even our family. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says we're to walk in love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Jesus said, if you love one another. 5 and 8, walk as children of light. We're not walking in the darkness anymore, we're walking as children of light. 5.15, walk circumspectly. That means walk carefully. Walk wisely. Walk... Diligently. Why? Because we're being watched 24-7, aren't we? Hmm? Aren't you being watched in work if you're a believer? Hmm? Just say one thing they think is wrong or do one thing they think is wrong. They'll be all over you like a rash because you're being watched. And that's no bad thing. Sure it's not. And so we're to walk wisely and circumspectly. Ephesians 2 and 10, Paul also tells us we're to walk in good works as it were created for, to walk in good works. So Enoch walked with God. Enoch witnessed for God. We saw that in that little letter of Jude's. And Jude explains to us the conditions of Enoch's day. And Enoch was light in a dark world. He was salt in a corrupt world. His preaching, his prophesying was a testimony to an ungodly world. Now isn't it interesting that Jude writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit not only links Enoch's prophecy to the judgment that came with the flood in that generation, but also to the judgment that will yet come when Christ returns. And so Enoch's prophesying something that was going to happen so many, many, many years after he would have left the scene of time and then go beyond Noah's flood thousands of years later, even beyond today to when Christ comes to execute judgment. And so here's a man who is completely in touch with God, who senses the Holy Spirit, who prophesies and who preaches even beyond what will happen in his generation. Even though after he lived 365 years and God took him, even when he was gone, the judgment hadn't come. But he trusted God that the word was true and it was true. And it was true it happened in Noah's day. And if it happened in Noah's day, then, according to Jude, it's going to happen when Christ comes. Only this time it won't be a flood, it'll be a fire that will cleanse the earth. Are you still with me? Luke chapter 17 gives us a little indication of what times will be like when Jesus returns. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise as also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of man is revealed. In that day he is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise the one who is in the field, let him not turn back, remember Lot's wife." Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinded together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered him and said, Where, Lord? And he says, Wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. haven't time to unravel all of that for you this morning. But to let you know that in Noah's day and in Lot's day, in spite of all of the warnings, in spite of all of the preaching, prophesying, all of that, it was unheeded. They went about their business as if nothing was going to happen. Is not that the world we live in today? Those silly preachers, those stupid preachers, we're laughed at, we're mocked, we're scorned. Those doomed dares that talk about Christ coming back. Sure, he's never coming back. It's never happened. It's nonsense. Don't believe it, they say. It's no different today than it was then. But he is coming back. And when he does come back, he'll be coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Enoch witnessed for God. And thirdly Enoch was well pleasing to God. Hebrews 11:5 for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now that is an incredible statement. You remember when Jesus was being baptized by John in the Jordan? And how that the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended and rested upon him. And a voice from heaven came and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we can understand that. We would expect nothing less than that. The father saying about his son, I am well pleased with him. Of course he was. Why wouldn't he be? But for God to say about Enoch, for this to be recorded by the Holy Spirit, that God was well pleased with him, that sets him out, doesn't it? That makes him a standout person. And in all that generation, in all those millions, there was one man that God was pleased with. To have Almighty God saying that He's pleased with you, He's pleased with me, that's something, isn't it? Hmm? To have that accolade. They know that God is pleased. There are two types of people that can never please God. Hebrews eleven six: 6, those who have no faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. Now we're not talking about natural faith. You went to sit in that chair this morning. You never even looked to see if it was there. You just knew it was there and you just planted yourself on it. You trust it would be there whenever you sat down and it was. But We're talking about faith in God. Trusting in the living God. Faith in his son. That's a different thing. And that's not natural faith. So without that, we cannot please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The other type of person who cannot please God is those who live in the flesh. Romans 8.8 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What does that mean? Those who live for themselves. Those whose life is lived simply for the flesh, for their impulses, for their feelings, for their desires, only. But not for God, not for the things of God, not for eternity, not for Jesus. Cannot please God. So is it possible then to please God? Absolutely. Now we know that religion tries to appease God. But we can please God. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing to the Lord. So you can start early. not right, Ruth? <laughs> i seen Ruth having a wee smile when I said that. Because <laughs> she's sitting beside her granny and her daddy and her mommy. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5 and 9. Paul said, We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. We make it our aim. It's our goal. It's what we want to aspire to and achieve that we're well-pleasing to to the Lord. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says that Christ works in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And so we get help to do this. You know, God gives us something. Christ helps us. He works in us that which will be pleasing in his sight. You know, as parents, we try to do that with our children, don't we? we? We put something into them. We try to teach them good manners and integrity and honesty and all those things. And when they show the fruit of that, it's well-pleasing to us, isn't it? We're happy about that. And so the Lord puts into us things of His Spirit, uh, His attributes, His attitudes, all of those good things. And when he sees the fruit of that, it's well-pleasing in his sight. Hebrews 13, 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well-pleased. It pleases the great heart of God when we do good and we share with someone, whatever that sharing may be. But when we do that, it pleases the heart of God. It may be a little thing. Even a cup of cold water in my name, you shall not lose your reward. Colossians 1 and 10, Paul said, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Philippians 1:18, Paul also said to the Philippian church who had been sending him and supporting him and blessing him and giving to him material things that he needed. And when he received that, he said, it is a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, as a church, every time that we give to missions, and we give a lot to missions, And every time we do that to other ministries, it's a sweet-smelling savour. And it's well-pleasing to God. And He loves it. And we love to do it too. So can we please God? Absolutely. There are many, many ways that we can be pleasing to God. It's a wonderful thing to think that Almighty God, that we can actually please Him. And then finally, Enoch was translated by God. Genesis 5, 24 and Hebrews 11 and 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Hmm. Genesis 5.24 and Enoch walked with God and it it kind of puts this in a very understated way and Enoch walked with God and he was not (laughs) for God took him sometimes the Bible is very economical with its words and he was not (laughs) what do you make of that for God took him out of all the billions of people that has ever walked the face of the earth from Adam until us today. And we are talking billions. Only two people has ever went to heaven without dying and never come back. Enoch was the first. Two and a half thousand years later, Elijah, the great prophet, was the second. It tells us about Elijah how that Elisha knew he was going and he followed after him to get that double blessing. And it says that uh, fiery chariots came down and separated the two of them, and a whirlwind took Elijah up into heaven. (laughs) But it doesn't say that about Enoch. It just says Enoch walked with God, and he was not. God took him very understated isn't it so whether he just got up one morning and was eating his porridge maybe he was out for a walk literally maybe just walking on the road praising God suddenly in a twinkling of an eye he was gone and he was not Eight times it's recorded in Genesis 5 about Adam's sons. And in all of them, it says, and he died. And he died. And he died. Eight times. But it doesn't say that about Enoch. There's no obituary for Enoch, (laughs) no death notice. In the paper. (laughs) No hole dug on the ground. No mourners. No cortege. He was not. For God took him. Supernatural. After 300 years of daily walking with the Lord he simply vanished when it says God took him it's in the same sense as the word for being caught up which is what we get the word rapture from snatched away First Corinthians chapter 15 the great resurrection chapter Verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Of course, sleep he's talking about there is dying, dead. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. And so forth. In the twinkling of an eye. Atomos. Like an atom. Not even a blink of an eye. I was looking at the practice of the Formula 1 yesterday for about 20 minutes and they said that one particular driver was was it so many thousands of a second faster and I thought, thousands of a second? That's some stopwatch that guy's got, isn't it? Well, this doesn't even come close to this. We're talking here in terms of Adam here. <laughs> and suddenly, it's gone. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're just about near finished here. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. As those Paul here is preaching about the second coming of Christ. Church of Thessalonica was worried then about people who had already died in Christ. They'd fallen asleep in Christ. What's going to happen to them? I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. together with them, snatched away in a moment, twinkling in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So here is Enoch. 300 years he's walked with the Lord and suddenly he's not for god has taken him can't find him no body to be found just like elijah gone on a whirlwind can't be found no body to be found in revelation chapter 11 there's a dramatic scene because of time, I can't fully set it for you. It's regarding the great tribulation period. And how that two witnesses God sent to the earth. And they had supernatural powers. To the point that when their enemies came against them, they could breathe fire out of their mouths. And destroy them. And the only two these can possibly be are the two we have mentioned this morning. Enoch and Elijah. And at one point the forces of Antichrist kills them. After three and a half years. They lie on the ground and the world rejoices. These two that had tormented them is gone. And after three days, suddenly they rise from the dead. (laughs) And the whole world sees it. So when the Bible says about those end time events that the whole world sees it, it's only in this generation that this could possibly happen with the advent of satellite TV. When that Boston marathon bombing took place, within minutes, it was worldwide news all over the world. In minutes. And they will rise up, and God will take them back again. Here's a man, a godly man in an ungodly world, a man for his generation. And he had this testimony that he pleased God. What a testimony to have. Wouldn't that be lovely to be written in your gravestone if the rapture doesn't come in our day? That she pleased God, that he pleased God. <laughs> that would be a testimony, wouldn't it? Can we be Enochs in this world? Can we please God in this world by our lives, by our lips, by our deeds, our actions? Can we please God? Can we be standout people? Will people notice us for the right reasons? I don't mean by how we dress, but by our lives, because it's making a difference. Is our lives making a difference? And if it is, they were been inux in our generation let's pray